Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I want to talk about four powerful ways to break the cycle of intergenerational trauma. Now, let me say before I begin, you can't just listen to this podcast and be like, okay, done check that off my list. That's not the way it works. Obviously, this is a skeletal list of things to do, but it's very powerful. And also, it's very important for you to listen to this because if your kiddos have had trauma and you've had trauma, you can get into a kind of a trigger war. So we didn't used to know that you could actually pass trauma on through the genes. So let me start with this. Intergenerational trauma is a concept developed to help explain years of generational challenges within families. It is the transmission or sending down to younger generations of the oppressive or traumatic effects of a historical event. And I would add to that or lifestyle. And I will definitely be sharing some examples in this podcast. So if you're like, I don't even know if that's me. I don't know. I haven't even really thought about that. That's okay. A growing body of research suggests that trauma, like from childhood abuse, family violence, or food insecurity, among many other things, can be passed from one generation to the next. Here's how. Trauma can leave a chemical mark on a person's genes, which can then be passed down to future generations. This mark doesn't cause a genetic mutation, but it does alter the mechanism by which the gene is expressed. This alteration is not genetic, but epigenetic. Now, I know that's a lot of words, but the words are just expressing the fact that scientists now know that you can pass trauma from one generation to the other. In fact, if you've listened to me talk about the six risk factors for trauma, three of them are either shortly after birth or prenatal. So in utero, that stress, that harm, maybe it's drugs or alcohol, or maybe it's just a stressful pregnancy, or a difficult labor or birth, or 
an early medical stay or some sort of surgery. Like I've talked about my son before, he was born with a hole in his heart and a cleft palate, and he was also born prematurely, so he had those traumas. So those are traumas too. But these things that I'm talking about can be handed down from your parents. Now there's this big move, and and it's great, I'm not saying it's wrong, to find out you know, what is in our medical history and maybe geographically, where did our family originate? You know, like where did we come from? So we order these tests online and it tells us that, you know, you're you're at risk for diabetes and you're 25% Irish and that's great. But there's something that we don't want to miss, which is examining the roots of our trauma. Genetics are passed down, so is trauma. In research conducted by Dr. Joan Kaufman, director of the Child and Adolescent Research and Education, or CARE, program, she and her colleagues found that early life stress caused epigenetic changes that lowered the trigger required for a stress response. So now if you listen to the podcast, The Levels of Your Kiddo's Trauma Bucket, and I also created a workbook for that, and I will link that in the show notes. So if you listen to that, you know we all have a trauma bucket. And the first layer is, you know, do you have any of those six risk factors? And then there are other layers, which I'm not going to get into right now. You can go back and listen to that podcast if you want to know more. But what that means is if you already have trauma in your bucket, it's not going to take much to trigger that stress response in your body. So that's one of the reasons why it's really good to be aware of these things, to be aware of intergenerational trauma, to be aware of things that are passed down from one generation to the next. And, you know, if you're wondering, maybe, you know, this is why we have second and third generation alcoholics. You know, whatever that trauma was that led that person to think that alcohol was going to help them. And I'm not going to get into all of the reasons why people drink. That is not my thing. I don't, you know, I'm not going to pass any judgment on anyone. But, you know, we are predisposed to do those sorts of things because of this intergenerational trauma. For example, if you do have a parent who is an alcoholic or is a recovering alcoholic, you are predisposed to possibly going through that same path. And one of the things that we have seen in our kiddos with FASD is just because of having that alcohol go through the bloodstream while the mother was pregnant with them, then they have this, they're born with this addiction to sugar because that's what alcohol turns to in the system. Like I said, I don't want to get too off track here. I don't even know if I'm going to get through all of my notes. I know you probably hear me shuffling papers because I have been working on this particular podcast and article for over a month, just like gathering information, um, digging up my memories, looking through books I've researched before and taking notes because 
I want to, even though, like I said, this is just a skeletal little lesson. This is to get you thinking about it. If you've never thought about it, I actually even created some graphics, which I will share with my email list. So if you're not on this, I have one for the intergenerational trauma cycle and then another one for the intergenerational trauma cycle broken, like how you can break it. And I'm really getting ahead of myself. If you can tell, I'm really excited about this because I think it's so important. Now, one of the reasons we do not look at this subject in our lives is when we are born with trauma in our bucket, instead of acknowledging it, we normalize it. Why? Because our trauma is normal to us. Our way of doing things is normal to us. The way our parents did things are normal to us. And I'll just give you, and this has nothing to do with trauma, but this will get you thinking about it. Here's a super simple example. One of my daughter's friends, um, close friends went from the time she was just a toddler on, would spend the night at our house. And she made a comment one night. She was like, you guys are weird. And I was like, what? And she said, well, we don't brush our teeth that way. You floss first, and then you brush your teeth afterward. We do it the opposite way. That's just weird. So we have these things that, you know, that is a super simple example. And it's like we have to look through that lens of what is our normal? And is it really normal? Or was it a trauma lens that we are viewing our life through? Did something happen in your parents' past? And sometimes we need to talk to our parents because we don't even know or talk to our siblings, or talk to our aunts or uncles. I've gotten a lot of information about my mom because my mom passed away over 25 years ago from my aunt because I didn't know all of the trauma that my mother had gone through. I knew some of it from when I was alive, and she was alive at the same time, but there was a lot of it I just didn't know. All right, so I'll give you a few more examples. Maybe your parents were instantly angered by a messy room or an unmade bed or milk spilled at the breakfast table or fill in the blank, you know, whatever it was. And I'm not saying all of those are like hugely traumatic experiences, but I want you to start thinking about those things. And I'm giving you a trigger warning here. As you begin to think about those things, you may begin to think about some things that were you had normalized, but were actually traumas. Because I've heard people say to me, well, we, we just yell in our family. That's how we communicate. Well, uh, I don't know. Or, you know, people yelling and expletives at each other and putting each other down around the family dinner table. That's some, yeah, that's not normal. It should not be normalized. So maybe your home was tense and negative. No one smiled or no one laughed and you thought everybody else's household was like this. Or, on the, you know, just to give it equal balance, on the opposite side of that, maybe we had, you had these positive things that were normal in your home. And a positive example from my own life is my parents spoke about civil rights, feeding the hungry, 
ecumenical services and preserving the environment. We ate dinner at the table together every night. I'm going to share a little bit more when my family changed to these habits. But then I learned that some people didn't practice these habits in their home. And when I went to friends' houses and they weren't talking about saving the environment or feeding the hungry at the dinner table. And in fact, I'm just going to pick on my husband for a minute because it's not really picking on him. When I first started dating him and I went to visit his parents, meet his parents, and we had dinner. And one thing that was really different for, for me was my mother was a vegetarian. My husband's father was a beef farmer. So you can imagine my surprise when they brought out these plates that were the size of platters, I am not kidding you, with a big piece of meat. And I was kind of like, hey, could I make a peanut butter sandwich? Because <laughs> I, I can't eat all of that. And that's just one example. Now, was that trauma? No. So when I say, you know, start beginning to examine your past, you, you know, there's good memories going to come up. There's memories that are going to be like, okay, well, that was different than the way that I do it, but it was still great. It was still okay. Okay. Now, I am going to move on a little bit and I'm going to talk about, you know, letting go. I, I, I don't know. I just have this word picture in my mind of just taking, you know, those pampered chef little brown square scrapers. It's like sometimes we just have this residue of trauma on us and we just need to take one of those and scrape it off and scrape it off. So it's not like, oh my gosh, I had all of these horrible things happen to me. Maybe you didn't, or maybe you've never thought about it. And you're living with this residue of trauma on you every day. And your reactions or your parenting reactions are based on that trauma without you even realizing or acknowledging it. So many years ago, when I started seeking this healing, like I need to move forward, I was acknowledging the fact that my parents had had trauma, I had trauma, my kids had trauma, it was like trauma, trauma, trauma. I came across in the Bible, so if you're, listen, if you're not a Christian, and here I am, I'm going to start talking about the Bible, do not click out, okay? Because these principles are sound principles. They will help you if you listen, okay? I just felt like the ordering teacher right there, okay? Get out my ruler. You will stay on this podcast. Okay, so in John 5, there is the historical account of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And so this pool was historically known to, like an angel would come down and stir up the waters, and whoever got there first and got in would get healed. So there was a man there, and that's what he's called, the man. <laughs> he had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus noticed him lying there helpless, knowing that he had been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? 
So when I was on my own healing journey, which I am still on, I began to just read this set of passages in John 5. Starts with verse 1 over and over and underline and write notes on it. Because the first premise here to understand is you must want to get well. Do you want to get well? That used to just reverberate in my mind. And I was sharing this with my sister, like I'm like, I'm really studying John 5, the man of the pool of Bethesda. You know, he's been there for 38 years. And when Jesus said, do you want to get well? Here was his answer. The invalid answered, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am coming to get in myself, someone else steps down ahead of me. Now, of course, my voice is giving that particular part of it emphasis, but that's the way I hear it in my head because I think that was me. Because when I was talking to my sister about it, I was like, oh my gosh, 38 years. And when I was talking to her about it, I was a little bit older than 38. So she kind of zinged me and like, okay, and how long has it been? Oh my gosh, it's been 30, it's been more than 38 years. This is a super powerful account with so many lessons in it. And because it pertains not only to our physical healing, but also spiritual, emotion, emotional, and heart healing. Here is a man who has been lying helpless for 38 years and not acknowledging his part in his healing. Lying there waiting for help had become his normal. It was the fault of the no one to help me. He needed to acknowledge his belief, process it, and begin to take part in his own healing. Obviously, Jesus is the one that healed him, but you'll learn a little bit more about that here in a few minutes. And that was me. It's like my parents had had this trauma. There was alcoholism in my family. There were all these things I learned from my aunt that had happened to my mom when she was younger and had to do with her birth and all of that. And I won't share her story. But the truth is, I was like, there is nobody to help me. Like, this is just the way it is. That's the way I think of it. When we get that attitude, well, that's the way it is. You know, that's the way my family was. And that's the way it is. And we can't stay stuck there. We have to want to get well. All right, then number two, you must participate in your own healing. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man was healed and recovered his strength and picked up his pallet and walked. Healing requires you to do some work. You have to get up. You have to pick up your mat. You have to find out what you need to leave behind. Maybe it's old ways of thinking and doing. You have to pursue a new normal. Leave behind the guilt for not starting sooner. Stop wearing shame as a garment when you think of how you have behaved and reacted in the past. 
So I remember in my healing journey when I got to that point, like, okay, get up for me meant finding some ways that I could help myself work through the healing. One of them for me is journaling. It still is. But at that point, I began wearing my shame and my guilt as a garment. It was like every morning when I got up and got dressed, I would put that on 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 top of it. Like, oh my goodness, all the things I've done wrong, all the ways I've parented the wrong way, all the things I listened to about my past that weren't true, or the beliefs that I believed that weren't true. How am I going to work on those today? How's it going to go today? You just, you can't. You got to shake it off. You have to shake it off. Okay. Now, I am going to move on to the next point, and I'm obviously going to have to do two podcasts because I am not going to give into this. I'm not going to get into all of this, give into this. <laughs> okay, you guys are used to be getting off track here, especially when I get really excited about a subject. So, um, next, you will be judged for working on your healing. You will be. You just will. So if you accept that and you move forward, and that's when we have to let the people-pleasing go. That was very difficult for me. It's still difficult for me because my go-to, and it's very common with people who have been in abusive situations, is like you go to that people-pleasing. Going to make everybody happy. Going to do what everybody wants, and then not everything will be fine. So this is what happened in the historical account of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews kept saying to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. You're not permitted to pick up your pallet because it's unlawful. So obviously judgment's going to look a little bit different in this day and age. And this is what it may sound and look like. What do you mean you can't teach a Wednesday night class at church? You need time to recover? From what? Wait, your kids aren't participating in sports this season? That's not good. Well, that one kid you have is really talented, so he should be out on the field. What do you mean your ministry at home is more important than being in the church every time the doors open? You have to be there. Everybody else is going to be there. Why are your kids sitting with you in church instead of going to kids' church? Everybody should go to kids' church. True story. Got called into the pastor's office on that one because my kids could not regulate. Their trauma was not allowing, at that point in their healing process, they could not regulate. So when you begin to take the reins and you pick up your pallet and you walk, And you begin to grow and you begin to walk forward in your healing. When you're growing, then you have to leave behind that people-pleasing. Because people-pleasing keeps us stuck. So, and here's another one. This is a biggie. Why do you need counseling? Isn't your faith strong enough? You must be a really weak person if you need counseling. Okay, so those... Those are like the Pharisee-type questions. And I could go on 
for ages on these. Now, I obviously, these are written for church or school. Like another one was like, you know, why are you homeschooling all of those kids? You have a teaching degree. Why don't you go back to the school and teach? You know, and so you're going to get those questions. You're going to get those that judgment. And oftentimes it's at that point that we shut down and quit. We don't shut down our lives completely. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we get back into the patterns of the culture, which may have been affected by trauma. I don't even want to get into that one. So, next. You are going to have to continue, this is number four, to work for your healing. Number four, you need to continue to work for your healing. Now, some of you may be saying, well, you know, especially if you're a Christian, you might be like, no, if you're healed, you're healed. Well, listen to what Jesus says. Afterward, Jesus found the man at the pool of Bethesda. I'm just letting you know who he found in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Listen, I get it. This is why I get it. I put myself in his place and it's so easy to slip back into old habits of reactive parenting based on our past trauma, our parents' past trauma. This is just the way people do things. This is just the way it is. When I think of the fact that this man was helpless for 38 years, unable to get up, what could possibly be worse than that? Plus, how was he sinning? Was it what he was thinking that was sinful? Was it the beliefs he had about himself and the world around him? And whether he could be healed or not? I'm going to leave that one there for a minute for you to think about because often that's what throws us back into a regression as we slip back into those old habits so we have to keep working on this. And I will give a physical example about this to finish up this particular episode. Okay, so whenever um, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome in 2005, and I actually am able to live a pretty normal life that now, but I also have to have, and everybody does, you have to have these bookends, these boundaries in your life. But sometimes when I get really busy, I stop proactively doing the things that keep me healthy, like making my green smoothie in the morning, um, working out. Well, I hardly ever miss that one because that's kind of my frustration <laughs> workout too. But um, getting in the sauna, doing these sorts of things that keep me healthy. And it's the same thing with the health of our families and going back to old habits of trauma. When we're stressed, we regress. And even things that we thought, you know, I'm never going to have to deal with that again. I'm healed. I'm completely over it. I've forgiven. I've moved on. None of those things apply to me anymore. And then boom, 
And the same thing with our kiddos. That's why if you haven't listened to the levels of your kiddos trauma bucket on the podcast, I suggest that you do that, especially if you want to dig deeper into this. You know, where did the trauma come from? Because now trauma is such a buzzword. When I first started talking about trauma on the podcast, when I was on a podcast with another group of ladies, the whole house, it was like nobody knew what I was talking about. And now everybody hears it everywhere. Trauma, trauma, trauma. But because it's such a buzzword, Sometimes we just let it buzz past our ears and we're like, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with me when it actually does. So I will continue this episode in another episode, part two. So hopefully this has gotten you thinking. It's got you wondering like, hey, so why do we react this way? Why is it that every time my family gets together, we suddenly have a yelling, screaming match? Why is it that mom always did things like this? And I'm not sure I want to do things like that. And I will say, because I remember being, I was doing a workshop for, um, at WVU for social workers, nurses, things like that. And one of the ladies was just kind of adamantly yelled out when I was talking about our parents' trauma. She said, I will never act like my parents did. I'm going to hug my child. When I have a child, I'm going to hug that child. And that was amazing. And that's wonderful. That is a great goal and vision to have. And I will be talking about that in the next podcast is like envisioning the parent you want to be. But just making a statement like that is not going to make it happen. There are steps that we must take. There are things that we have to unravel that have been bound up in our parenting, in our ways of doing things without us even knowing. So if you're one of those people that your child did something and you're just, you know, Mentally, you're still, you're kind of like, well, that's not a big deal. But all of a sudden, you have this out-of-proportion reaction. You're like, where did that come from? Well, we got to find out where it came from. Not so we have to dig up our past every day. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about sitting there saying, I am not moving forward until I dig up every little thing in my past. That's not even healthy. But as you listen to this, And as you begin to process things and maybe talk to family members or your your parents, if they're still alive, if they're willing to talk about it, and it doesn't have to be a super serious conversation about everything bad that ever happened to you. Sometimes some of the practices that we have in our family are just that. They're not good. They're not bad. They're not neutral. So I'm not asking you to go on on a witch hunt, but I believe that if you're listening to this, you have an interest in this and you want to figure out so that you don't keep repeating the pattern. So thanks for joining me today and, and on the next episode in this series, I will be sharing about the graphics. So if you were not on the email list, Go ahead and sign up. It's super simple. All you do is go on 
traumainformedparenting.com and click that button to get your free resource. I think right now it's how to have peace when your kids are in chaos, which is a skeletal kind of little workbook based on my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos. There I can talk. All right. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.